So here we have uh, the servant of God, and he's uh, had a track record of powerful ministry. In fact, he's coming off of what could be considered kind of the greatest victory that any prophet would have ever experienced. It was a huge, courageous, faith-filled, successful ministry. But now he's distressed. He feels that his ministry has been a failure. He feels like he's the only one left. He's all alone. And he wanders into the wilderness, and there's a a bush, and he lies down under this bush, and he just wishes for death. Uh, In a general sense, I, I think we've all been there. There's those times where we feel just that deep sense of disappointment or that what we've done is a failure, this just the frustration of, of life or, or, or that feeling of just being so isolated and alone and, you know, that nobody understands our deep pain and you're just, you're just done. Maybe you've been there, maybe today you've come here this morning and that's where you're at or somebody you love is in that place. For all of us today, we're going to see and we're going to hear God's word to the person who's in that very place. Just the deep uh, disappointment, frustration. So this is for all of us in the room. But I know that in, in a group this size, there's also a number of us that may have a deeper connection to this. And perhaps you have gotten to a point where you feel, you know, life just isn't worth living. If that's you today, my hope for you is that just as God cared for Elijah, just as God spoke to him quietly and tenderly, just as God reminded him he was not alone, God reminded him that he still had good purposes for his life, I pray for you today, and I tell you today that God cares for you. That God wants to uh, share his gentle word with you. He wants you to know that you are not alone. And God wants you to know that he has a good purpose for your life. And I pray that you would hear that today. So I want to go through this text together. First, I want to give you some background to see kind of how we got to this point in the story. And then uh, secondly, I just want to walk through the text and, and unpack that a little bit. And then finally, just... Uh, draw a handful of conclusions, things that we can take with us uh, from this place out into our week with us, just different uh, takeaways and conclusions that we're going to draw from this. So let's pray. So Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and active and it penetrates our hearts. And we just pray, Lord, by the power of your spirit, that you would be our teacher during this time, that you would show us your way, that we would understand your word, and that we would respond to it. So wherever we are, whatever we've come from this morning, we pray that you just meet us where we're at. We thank you that you are a God who does that. And we commit this time to you, and we commit ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So a little bit of background to start. We, we left off in chapter 14 last week, and now we've, we're jumping all the way to chapter 19. So we were back with uh, King Jeroboam last week, and now we're all the way up to King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, and the prophet Elijah. And in between, there was a number of kings and prophets that are described, but we don't really need to spend a lot of time with them because they're all just Jeroboam 
over and over again. Uh, For those of you who were here last week, Pastor Brian shared a message about how Jeroboam was the standard of sinful leadership and how he abandoned uh, the true worship of the God of Israel and all these other false worships and just the different things that he did. And, uh, but literally, the Bible uses him as the standard of sin. So his son, uh, Nadab, became the king. And in Kings, 1 Kings 15, 26 says, He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, walking in the ways of his father, Jeroboam, in his sin. So he said, look, he was just like Jeroboam. And then the next king was Basha. He killed Nadab and he took over. And then 1533 says, he walked in the ways of Jeroboam. And later there was Zimri. And the Bible says he walked in the ways of Jeroboam. And then King Omri was on the scene. And he's another Jeroboam. Everybody is just doing what Jeroboam did. These same sins over and over again. That is the standard. You're either, uh, you know, you're sinful like Jeroboam. Until Ahab shows up. One of the things I like to do from time to time, you wouldn't think this, but I like to go to the gym and uh, work out. Part of my routine that I enjoy is lifting weights. And when I lift weights at the gym, I, I pick up the, the curl bar, keep my arms strong, and, uh, and, and there's a number on the side of it. I know exactly what it weighs. And I, and I curl it, and I maybe get eight reps, maybe ten, and, it's, and my arms are exhausted, and I, I set it back on the rack. And there's people at the gym who would lift a bit more than that, and there's some who lift a bit less, and it's all just sort of a, a you know, standard thing. And then some guy shows up, and in each hand, takes a weight that has the number on, that was the same one I was using two hands for. It's on one hand each, and he just goes bang, 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 and he's just nothing, like it's, and he, like, it's like a light thing. Sets him down. You think, oh, that's a new standard. <laughs> Arms out to here, just all shredded. Ahab, King Ahab, he gets on the scene, and Scripture says that the sins of Jeroboam to him were like a light thing. It was just, ha! The sins of Jeroboam, it's like a feather. It's a trivial thing. It just, he takes the sins of Jeroboam and just, boom, boom, boom. He marries this woman, Jezebel, who becomes the standard of, of sinful women in Scripture. So she, so not only did this king and queen set up uh, false worship, but they started exterminating and killing the prophets of, of the God of Israel. They started, uh, the, the Lord God, his prophets, they were, were being wiped out and killed by the sword. And so this is a, 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 just a massively sinful leadership. So you get these, this great sin, so God raises up a great prophet named Elijah. And Elijah comes with God's word to call these leaders in this nation of people who are following them back to the one true God. And he, he shows up on the scene and he says, hey, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the, the Lord God? Are you going to follow these Baals and these other gods? And he, there's a showdown. The God of Israel versus the, the false God, the, the prophets of Baal. So you've got the one prophet versus 450 prophets of Baal. And they set up, they go up on this mountain, Mount Carmel, and they set up these altars. And they're praying for the, the true God to bring fire onto these altars. And, and the, the Baals, they do nothing. Their gods are, are not gods. They're just invisible. Uh, Elijah prays, and then boom, the fire comes. And everybody knows who the true God is. And the people uh, realize that the Lord God of Israel is the one true God. And then, and then the people kill the prophets of Baal. And that's, if you have not 
If you're not familiar with that story, that's chapter 18. That leads us right to where we are today. It's a very famous story, by the way. We love teaching it. It's, it's intense, but we love teaching it to children and, and part of our Sunday school. And it's, it's, it's a fantastically massive uh, showdown between God and all the false teachers. So now uh, King Ahab goes back to Jezebel, his, his lovely wife, the evil Jezebel, and tells what happened on the mountain. And instead of her saying, we must turn and repent, the, God, the, the Lord God is the true God, uh, she says, she makes a vow that she's going to wipe out Elijah. That she's, I'm going to do to you what, what you did to these, and, and, to these guys. And Elijah is afraid for his life, and he takes off, and he gets 100 miles out of town, and he goes to a place called Beersheba. And we're picking up, that's where we're picking up here in 19. And so he, he leaves his, he's with a servant, he leaves his servant behind, he wanders out into the desert, and he finds this bush, and he's just, he just lies down, and he just wishes he was dead. Verse 4, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. He looks at his life, and, you know, my dead ancestors, I'm no, I'm no more use in this world than them, just take me, Lord, I'm done. But why is Elijah so fed up? Why is he so at the end of his rope? I mean, if he wanted to die, he could have just stayed there with Jezebel. She was happy to, to wipe him out. So he's, he's running for his life, and yet he wants his life to end. That's kind of a funny balance there. Um, and he's on his own. He just, he just doesn't want to die by Jezebel's hand. You know, it's... It, it's you can almost see it. It's, he just had this massive victory. He had done the, the greatest display of God's power for these people, and yet it was a failure. Yet the, the queen did not repent of her sin, and the people did not repent. They, they just went on this evil path. And, and Elijah's sitting there saying, look, God, I did everything I could for you. I'm, I'm useless. I'm done. I've had enough. And I want you to notice what God does for him here. What does the God of the universe do for the person who feels this way? God nourishes Elijah, provides him food, provides him water. He nourishes and strengthens him for a journey. And he now begins to wander. He gets up and wanders through the desert and ends up at Mount Horeb. Now, if Beersheba is like 100 miles away, Horeb is another 200 miles beyond that. So if I'm running away from somebody who wants to kill me, and I'm in Andover and I'm on foot, I'll go to maybe Portland, Maine, 100 miles away. That's probably far enough where I'm safe. But I'm not going to St. John, New Brunswick, Canada. Why so far? And if it's another 200 miles, why does it take him 40 days? It doesn't take 40 days to get that distance. So what? there's something else going on here that all the... You have... Um, a man wandering 40 days in the wilderness, what does that remind us of? It reminds us of the Exodus. And remember, that's one of our themes. Is, for those of you who were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the themes that we're going to see in, this, in these accounts. It's, it's the Exodus. It's that God, the time when God saved his people, they ended up in the wilderness wandering around for 40 years. And now you've got Elijah wandering around for 40 days and 40 nights. And he ends up at Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai. So you've got, um, you've got 
the 40 days of wandering, you're at Mount Sinai. This is a very special place. This is the place where God gave his covenant to the people, where God pledged himself to his people through a covenant of law. And Moses got the commandments. And he was up on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights as the covenant was given. That's the same place where the covenant was broken, where Moses is up on the mountain and the people are doing false worship and worshiping the the golden calf at the time of the Exodus. There's all these parallels. It was on this same mountain where the presence of God passed in front of Moses, as it was accounted in, in, um, in Exodus 33. So you have the presence of God passing by. And here's the place now where the presence of God is passing by Elijah. This is not just a prophet who's sad and wandering and full of self-pity and afraid of a queen. This is a major moment of God's redemption. This is a a replaying of a story that God is, is using Elijah to show him something. This is a significant moment. So what does God do? So you have... Elijah's on the mountain, and God is there, and in verse 9 he says, What are you doing here, Elijah? And I don't see this as a condemning question. You know, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. God has already nourished him on this journey. God has encouraged this journey and has brought them to this very special place to ask him, What are you you doing here? It's a tender question. It's an opportunity now for Elijah to pour out his heart to God. And his answer is this. He says, God, I am passionate for you. My zeal is for you. My love is for you. But these people, they have broken your covenant. They've torn down your altar. They've killed your people. And they're going to kill me too. And now I'm all alone. And here I am. So God says, I want you to do this. I want you to go and I want you to stand outside this cave, on this mountain, and my presence is going to pass by you. And there was was a wind, a violent wind, and it was shaking and breaking the rocks, and God's presence wasn't in the wind. And there was an earthquake and a, a shaking of the mountain, and God's presence was not there. And a fire came. There was a, the, some fire that was present, and God wasn't there. But then there was a gentle whisper, a still small voice. And that's where Elijah knows that that is the voice of the Lord God. That's where his presence was. And he covers himself. He covers his, it's, it's a gentle whisper, but it's still the voice of a holy God. It's still the voice of the almighty God. And he covers himself, but it's a gentle voice. And a second time God asks him, why are you here? And Elijah answers a second time. The same answer. My passion is for you. My zeal is for you. But these people have sinned and broken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets. And they're trying to kill me too. And I am all alone. And here's God's encouragement to Elijah in that state. God doesn't rebuke Elijah for what he says. It almost seems that God agrees with Elijah, with his, his words, and God gives him two things. One, he says, I am not done with you yet. And the Lord gives him very specific instructions of what he is to go and to do. There's more ministry to do. There's more to be done. There's a bigger picture here. Elijah, you don't have all the pieces, but I do. And I still have good work for your life. It is not over. 
but you have to trust me. And you have to take these small steps. And quite honestly, Elijah, it's not going to be about you. It's going to be about you anointing others to finish the work that you've started, that I am accomplishing. So it is not all about you and your big victories, but it's going to be about the work you do and what I'm doing through it. I'm not done with you yet. Oh, and secondly, by the way, you are not alone. I know you feel alone, but there are 7,000 in this nation who have not done the false worship. They have not bowed to the Baals. And quite honestly, we read earlier that there was other prophets of God who were spared. When Jezebel started killing these prophets, uh, there was a man of God who hid a number of prophets in caves so that they would be spared from her, uh, from this killing. And they're out there. So I've got good work for you to do, and then I, you are not alone. <clears throat> Here's our takeaways then from this account. These are... These are the things I want us to take from this text and take it with us as we go from here. One, is that we need to define success and failure on God's terms, not our terms. Remember, Elijah has just had this huge victory, yet it does nothing for Jezebel. It does not turn her heart. Her heart does not come alive for the Lord God. And that is the reality of a hard heart. And there may be people in your life who you've been praying for or a situation you're praying for, something you want to see happen, it just doesn't happen. And you have to realize that, um, that your life is not a failure because it didn't change. Because only God can change a heart. And God is in control. And we need to define success and failure how he does. Or if you feel very successful, are we defining our successes uh, in view of, of God's priorities? That's the first thing. We just take that with us. Second is um, we need to have a passion for what matters to God. Remember when, when, when Elijah answers God, he's not despondent just because he's afraid of this queen. Uh, he's, he's not just full of self-pity. He's, he's upset because the people of God have rebelled. He's upset because he wants to see God glorified, and yet it's just not happening, and there's just deep frustration in that. Do the things that upset us and break our heart, are those the things that break God's heart? Jesus, when he was in this world, there were things that broke his heart. There were things that brought him sorrow. He was known as a man of sorrows. Jesus stood over the city of of Jerusalem, and he looked out, and he's just weeping over the city. He, He was saying, if you just... Jerusalem, if you only know what would truly bring you peace. And yet here you are wandering like sheep without a shepherd. And it broke his heart. And when we see things in our world and we see things in our everyday that that drag us down, do we say, Lord, are these the things that break your heart as well? What are the things I'm getting upset about? We all get upset. But we're getting upset about the right things. Thirdly, As we leave this place, we need to know the tenderness of God. Know the tenderness of God. I mean, verses 4 through 8, where we have God providing food and nourishment for Elijah, you already see God's tenderness to this man who is just broken and just in deep despair. The same tenderness and compassion that we receive from God, we then can use that and give that same tenderness and compassion around us. But often we don't experience God's tenderness. Sometimes we're in that place of despair. We feel like we've failed. We feel like we've let God down. And we see, we picture God just shaking his finger like, you messed up again. You failed again. Clearly, 
uh, you've done something wrong. Yet the God of the universe is there with this man who is so broken and feels like such a failure. And he speaks tenderly and quietly to, the, to, to him. That's the God. That's the heart of God. Fourthly, we need to rely on God's strength, not our own. Again, here's Elijah coming off a huge victory. Just this great demonstration of courage and faith. And what Elijah needed to know is that God was going to finish this work. Jezebel, it, it does not end, it just does not end well for Jezebel. You know that's coming, right? And you can read about that and how she goes. Um, you can read that one with your kids, too. The, <laughs> the, we, just, we are people, we're achievers, right? We want results. We want to get out there and get things done. And there, our desire for results is sometimes at odds with um, just being faithful to what God's called you to today. Sometimes you have to go through one of these uh, trials, one of these wilderness moments like Elijah goes through to remember that it's, this whole thing has always been about God's strength, not yours. Perhaps he's going through the whole ordeal so that he's not, Elijah's not trusting himself anymore, but just being obedient to those small steps that God gives him. And this whole ordeal gives him the strength, actually, to do those things. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he said it like this. He said, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's knowing that when we feel weak, that's when God's going to show you his power the most. Lastly, as we leave this place, we need to understand the power of that still, small voice. That God does not always act in huge miracles and these spectacular events and, and things. God certainly can do that and does do that. But we don't need to chase after some great moment, some miracle, some spiritual high. The majority of life and service to God is done in quiet, routine, humble obedience to God's will. To God, that type of obedience is spectacular. That's why we're constantly focusing on, Lord, what is ahead of me this week? When I leave this, we're the church gathered right here. When we leave this place, we are still the church. We're just the church scattered in different places. What is my ministry in those places? And it's often not spectacular. It's often just small acts of obedience, small acts of love, quiet prayer, listening to God's word. And that's where the still small voice of God will guide us to good things. God has spectacular ways, yes, and God has quiet ways, and they're beautiful. But I think we sometimes we just want, I want signs, I want wonders, I want all these things. But we simply need to rely on that still, small voice because there's great power in it. Those are our key takeaways. And the other thing, the other thing we want to remember is that there was another prophet many years later. Another prophet came to the world. His name was Jesus. He did perform some spectacular miracles, but a lot of his ministry was quite normal. He walked and he ate with people and he talked about God's kingdom. 
And he spoke in a very normal human voice. He declared with his voice the word of the Lord, the good news of God's kingdom, and that it was at hand. And he was calling people to turn from their sin, and he was calling people to put their faith in him. He was gentle, and he was tender in this. And even though he was fully God, he was also fully human, and he experienced the limits of humanity. He got tired. He got hungry. His life, too, was threatened, but he didn't run away. He prayed. And he had his friends with him to pray with him, and they all fell asleep, and he was alone. And the next day, he climbed a mountain, Mount Calvary. But the Lord's presence was not found there. As Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was abandoned on that mountain so that we might know the tender presence of our Father God. He cried out, It is finished so that we might hear that still, small voice of God. He died that we might live, that we might live abundant and eternal life now and for all eternity as we put our faith in him. So we put our faith in Jesus Christ today. We renew our faith in Jesus Christ today, that we might face whatever this week brings, whatever brings us to that point of despair, that we would know the power of God's still, small voice. Let us pray. Father, God, you are a good God. You are a God of tenderness and compassion. But you are a great God. I pray that we would hear your voice. Lord, I pray for those who are in it right now, who are in that moment of despair, in that moment of darkness. Even those who don't even know the purpose of living another day, Lord. We pray that we would know that you are not done with us, that you have good purposes for us, that we are not alone, that we have others who trust you, and we have your very presence, your Holy Spirit with us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would bring comfort and healing in every way. We thank you for your deep love. Above all, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who gave his life for us that we might live. We give you all the glory, and we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.